0: Welcome back to the One Broke Actress Podcast, an honest account of working actor life plus a few lessons I learn in the process. I am your host, Sam Valentine. I am so happy to have you guys here. Word on the street is we have a bunch of new listeners and I got to tell you, you could not have picked a better episode to start with. I am so excited for you to meet Sarah very shortly. So we'll keep the notes brief. Guys, holy crap, the Instagram is blowing up. I can't thank you guys enough for following at actress and subscribing to the newsletter at onebrokeactress.com. Uh, I'm putting out as much stuff as I can get my hands on, collecting as much information. You know, the clubhouses are just full of new tips and tricks. I'm bringing you left and right. So make sure to follow on all of the platforms. And if you haven't yet, Drop a five-star, drop a rate and review on this podcast on Apple Podcasts. And if you're listening on Spotify, make sure to click that follow button. They both do really good things for our little podcast analytics, which means more actors see that there's more people like them out in the world. And that's really the goal at the end of the day. Guys, this week we are sponsored by We Audition. We Audition has been one of our original sponsors from the first season I ever took sponsors. They have been so kind and supportive of this podcast, and they are so incredibly kind and supportive of every single actor-performer out there. I cannot thank them enough for all they are doing for actors, and if you have been watching from the sidelines, I know a lot of you, listen, this message is to you. A lot of you write me messages and say, hmm, that we audition sure looks interesting. Hmm, I think I'll try it soon. Mm, I don't know. I'm nervous. It's weird. Guys, acting online is the future. It is the present. It is the now. And you need to do it. And you can have fun doing it. It's a non-pressure situation. You're not getting on to be judged by a fellow actor. It's a great place to run lines. I've had four auditions recently that I've all run on We Audition. My readers have been amazing and I've tipped them. I've sent them all money, which feels really cool to not only get help from a fellow creative, but get to pay them. If you're waiting for a sign, this is your sign to join We Audition. I have a promo code. It is BROKE25 and you'll get 25% off your membership indefinitely. This means you will be paying $7.50 a month indefinitely for your membership. I have said this before. I'll say it again. I also used my own code for my membership. So, I too pay $7.50 a month to be a member of We Audition. It's a really cool platform, guys. WeAudition.com. Get on, get involved. All right, I think it's time we get to the podcast. Mm-hmm. My guest today is Sarah Tomko. You might recognize Sarah from the beginning of Season 2 of The Leftovers, from her role as Tiger Lily in Once Upon a Time, or from the brand new show on sci-fi Resident Alien. So Sarah and I recorded this podcast back in October, and I gotta tell you guys, listening to it back to edit it, was just as magical of an experience as it was the first time. Sarah is an actor, producer, singer, artist, activist, poet, mental health advocate, tarot healer, moon ceremony leader. You guys, I've been to a few of her moon ceremonies now since we've done this podcast and uh, it's a blast. Not something I ever thought I would do and now I'm really happy it's in my life. So something to check out with her. Listen, today we're really going to get into the beginning hustle and grind and The secret that is mental health management. We're going to go along Sarah's step-by-step journey into believing in herself and the process. Major hint, it takes a lot of time. We will go over her coping mechanisms for her career and her life. How her ethnic ambiguity at the beginning of her career was something she actually struggled with and had to figure out what she believed in along the way. Of course, we end it with the epic story of how she booked her newest show, Resident Alien, on sci-fi. off of one in-the-room tape. It's insane. You guys are going to love it. Sarah's energy exudes from her voice. You are going to be obsessed with her just like I am. I felt so hyped about my life after this podcast, and every time you're around Sarah, you get the same feeling. So without further ado, please enjoy Sarah Tomko. You've been literally kicking ass and you just booked your biggest job yet, would you say?
1: Yeah, thank you for (laughs) acknowledging the kicking ass part. Um, Yes, it is my biggest job to date. It was definitely a life changer when I got the phone call. Um, I went on a very long two and a half year journey just to make the whole of the season one that hasn't aired yet, but will air in January on Sci-Fi, and um, it truly was a dream come true. That's amazing. Yeah.
0: Be- before this happened, right before you booked your first and your it's a it's a series it's a series regular or lead. I want to use the proper terminology for you.
1: Series regular. Okay. Yes.
0: Great. Fantastic. Before you booked this massive series regular on a show that is like based off a comic book gonna have super huge fanage. <laughs> Did you, I get so excited for that stuff. Cause like I you know, have a built-in my,
1: audience. Some of my best girlfriends said like, you know, they're going to cosplay you. Right. And I was like, I never even oh. thought about
0: that. <laughs> like there's going to be a bobblehead doll for sure.
1: <laughs> I hope so. That would yeah. be amazing. Awesome. Actually, they one for uh, Tiger Lily from Once Upon a Time, and my boyfriend got it for me for Christmas one year. It was like one of those, um, they weren't bobbleheads. I can't remember. You see them. They have like big heads. It's like the
0: fat head and, things. Uh, yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. That's what I'm picturing yeah. for sure. Yeah. That's so cool. So, okay. So then let's hop back a little bit. Okay. When you go back to time. Yeah. So we'll so we already know things are working. So let's time travel back to when maybe they
1: weren't. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. There was a long certain stint in there where they definitely weren't. <laughs>
0: so when you when you got to LA, were you like, what was your envision of what this career was going to look like?
1: Ooh, that's a good question. Um, well, I never really I think what's interesting about my path is that I never really had a vision for it in the sense that I always thought I was gonna go to New York and be on Broadway. I was a musical theater major. I sang and I danced and I acted. Although um, in college, I really discovered black box experimental theater, which really got me into like the raw nitty gritty characters. And I just kind of knew the way that I approached my work was a lot more catered to film and television because it was very up close and personal Mm -hmm. um, and not so showy as sometimes um, theater roles can be. And so I, uh, I knew after I graduated college that I was gonna go to New York and then something in my gut said, no, that's not it. And I don't really know why other than just intuition. Um, and I spent some time in Ohio at a, at a cabaret kind of making some money, trying to figure my life out. And then I visited a friend in LA. Um, and I like, I was actually in West Hollywood, uh, staying with her. And on the first day that I was there, I went to go get coffee to just like walk around and kind of see the city for the first time and it was pride parade and I died from love and joy I was like oh my god so imagine I'm this you know that's your that was your
0: first walk around LA
1: yay in LA (laughs) West Hollywood like the Santa Monica Boulevard pride parade oh my god I was like, this is a welcoming committee. <laughs> like, They're inviting me to come live with them. They're telling me how beautiful I am. They're telling me that I'm accepted. Like it was yes. just such a dream. So, you know, without it being too long-winded of a backstory, I quickly realized the reason that my intuition was saying no to New York was because I wanted to be in LA. And so I didn't have a vision of my career because I didn't really know what I was doing. I just knew that my type of acting really was up close and personal. And that when I was growing up with my brothers, um, all we ever did was watch films. And I remember seeing um, Labyrinth. I don't know if you remember Labyrinth. Oh my God, of course. <laughs> it's, it's kind of scary oh to God. be honest. David Bowie. <laughs> um, I, her name was Sarah. She looked like she had long brown hair. I was like 11 when I saw that film. And I remember thinking, um, I can do that. Like her name's Sarah, my name's Sarah. I could probably like do that, but I had no idea what that was. So it wasn't until way later that I realized she was an actress, you know, named Jennifer Connelly and she did other roles too. Like it didn't really occur to me that you had to, that you could even major in it. Like that, that it was, to me, it was just this magical thing that one day you go to New York and you audition and eventually you get the thing. And like, I had no clue. So when I came to LA, I really did start at the very, very bottom. What do I do? I started asking questions. Um, I think the first thing I did was background extras work because right. that was like what everyone told me, just like jump in and try and just get on set. And did just, you go to Central uh, Casting and like do course, the whole thing? Yes, oh my I God, the yes. The whole thing. And I, you know, what was interesting about that was people kept saying, just stick with it eventually you you will find like, uh, if you do enough extras casting and central casting, you'll bump up and you'll bump to like getting a line or whatever, you know? And so that was kind of how it was sold to me. Um, but after three of those gigs, I was bored out of my mind and I knew that I was not fulfilling anything inside my soul that was correct. I was like, this is one way to get on set, but it's not it's not really like ticking that box for me. Yeah. And sometimes it can be like,
0: and it can make you not like a set experience, some background experience. Like I had a similar one. I know people who have made lifetimes out of their background work, but I had very bad experiences.
1: Yeah. I mean, I feel like I was meeting lifetimers when I was there Mm -hmm. and I was like listening to them talk about what it is they did and how they got into it and how long they'd been doing it. And it was like 13 years, 15 years. And I was like, that's awesome. And no judgment, but I can't, this, this isn't it. This just, just to get on set isn't enough. Mm -hmm. So then of course the, um, the uh, information given to me was, okay, you're gonna wanna get involved now casting and actors access and LA casting. And of course me being the, the, I don't wanna jump on a bandwagon (laughs) type of person. I was like, okay, well I'll take a look and see if I wanna be involved in those things. You know, the, the fucking balls you have when you're 20 something and you're like, I don't have to go the way you're telling me, which only to find out I did, you know, I think I started with Now Casting. I like did all the research and I was like, that's the one I like the most because they gave you like addresses for casting directors. Do you remember that? I there was like a whole, did you I don't ever remember Now that? Casting. I don't remember
0: that one. Is it yeah, I, like I,
1: LA I Casting? They're in, I don't even know if they're around anymore, but it was like this hub where you could not only, um, like, you know, an online, online website where you could not only have a profile and submit yourself for roles, but they also had a section that was based on all the information of casting offices. So you could send like mailing. This was back, back in the day when we did headshots. Our postcard <laughs> days.
0: Oh, do you remember, did you ever burn your reel? To, did you ever burn oh. your reel to a DVD?
1: Oh yes. <laughs> early on, and Yes, of course. You know, then I'm, I mean, I'm so grateful that, the evolution of technology has brought us to a place where we don't have to like kill trees in order to like get rejected and thrown into the trash can yes. down the line, you know? But I, I wish that I could have enjoyed that part of the career more back in the day when I was like sending all of those. But I mean, it was like, I was putting headshots in the manila envelopes with the DVD on the reel and sending packages to these casting offices. Yeah. I stumbled on a letter the other day I was looking for something and I noticed that I had like a career folder and I'm so glad I opened it because it was like, I had all the casting directors I'd ever gotten in front of listed. I had notes on who they were, how the audition went, like if I got a call back, I had notes on the workshops that I did. And then I also had notes on who I sent these headshots and packages to. So
0: you were a very organized actor.
1: I was, well, I'm a military kid. So oh, okay. structure is like the name of the game. Got that it.
0: Way. That explains it. Okay. Yeah, it yeah. took me years to figure that
1: out. <laughs> well, you know, in some ways I think I was a little ahead of my time at that time because I needed to take control. Mm-hmm. And so I learned how to do that without anyone telling me to do that. But if I had the wherewithal now to go back and like give advice, which is kind of why we're talking about this in the first place. If I could give advice to anyone who's at the start, I would say that there is no one way to do it, but you do need to be like a detective of your own research and um, an investigator on who these casting offices are, why you want to be in that role or why you want them to pay attention to you. Because what you start realizing is Uh, Just like you there, you know, even the casting directors are real people with real thoughts and feelings. And so when you can find out that they prefer um, you to not have the sides in your hands, then you don't ever go into an audition again with sides in your hands. Like there's certain things that they, you know, and everyone's different. And if you're not paying attention to that stuff, then you're not playing the game. And it is just one giant game. It is just like sitting down at a poker table and it's just the never ending Texas (laughs) Texas Hold'em, <laughs> you know what I mean? And you're just like- Bluffing your ass off. <laughs> yeah, like these were the cards I was dealt. This is uh, unfortunate. Or, oh shit, I'm gonna win this one. <laughs> like you never know what it's gonna be, but the, yeah. the the thing is you just can't leave the table. You can't like, you can't get up and give up. You can't fold. You have to literally sit there as long as it takes until you win the pot. And that is, that is this career. Yeah. It's the same thing I liken to- because I'm a bit of a geeky gamer, uh, to Mario World. (laughs) Like (laughs) like if you think about it, Mario has all those levels, you know, uh, level one, but there's a boss at the end of level one. And even when you get through all that, and even if you were to like know all the ins and outs, you still have to go to level two, which has another whole boss and a whole other set of things you have to learn. I mean, just like in the game, at any moment you could find a secret warp and go all the way to level eight. And that is essentially how it works. So some people find that secret warp and then you sit there going, God damn it. Like they got to find the secret warp. I've I've been playing the game the whole time. Like how come I didn't find the secret warp? And you have to keep doing level three and level four and level five and level six. And to me, that is, you know, between sitting down at a poker table or playing a Mario, Mario world game. I love it. it is truly, I think the way that this industry works. You just, the longer you stay, the lo- the more you learn. And um, eventually you have some wins and those wins lead to other things. And eventually like, it's not a matter of if it's just a matter of when, and everybody's journey is different. So the worst thing you can do is leave the game. It's just that that's the part of it that is hard. And that's where um, mental health is such an important part of it because you have to be taking care of yourself mentally while you're playing what really is a game of luck and preparation. Like that's the opportunity is a little bit of luck. Sure. You happen to be in the right place at the right time with the right role that came across your eyes. And you're like, this is it. But also you have to do the work leading up to that and before you even walk in the room to know exactly what it is you're offering. And so again, kind of going back to the question you asked me in the first place, like how did I envision it? I didn't really have a vision. I just knew that it wasn't gonna be quick. I always knew, and I think that that set me apart from being too disappointed too quickly is that I never expected it to be a quick process
0: see that's really impressive because I feel like even with your video game analogy how it was like level two level three or four sometimes like level two level three level three level three level three level oh my god you can't
1: you can't be the boss right and you're (laughs) like and you give and you like throw the controller and you're like I'm not playing this game ever again but then (laughs) something calls you back like a week later and you're like I will finish it. <laughs> Today's the day. Yes. Yes. Okay. So how did you,
0: especially like in those early years when it feels like you're fighting for one line or you're fighting to just get seen, even how you were like a structured actor who was willing to play the game, who was willing to play the long game. What was your, you know, mental health? What what helped you? What got you through
1: those times? Uh, the first thing was just, therapy. I think the minute I started going to therapy, things changed for me because I started dealing with concepts like pain, rejection, um, you know, hardship, stuff that maybe I wasn't at the time, you know, I was about 26, wasn't the, at the time I'd had a couple of roles, a lot, some indie films, Mm -hmm. um, but nothing was really like landing. And I realized that I was starting to lose hope. And for me, it had only been at that point, maybe three years, I was only in the game three years at that point. And I was already like, Oh, no, what's wrong with me? How come I can't get cast um, in something bigger and something better. And once I started going to therapy and really focusing on um, who I was as a person and how what I, what I was wasn't enough, I started to pull away the layers of what, all those voices that tell you it's never gonna happen and you're not enough and you'll never be worthy and you'll never, 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 mm-hmm. um, which is basically just fear. It's just fear trying to protect you. And it's also resistance. It's, it's you like wanting the thing so badly that actually your resistance is stopping yourself and getting in your own way from getting the thing because what if you get the thing and then you have to own up to the success of the thing and then you have to like stand in front of all your family and friends and like be successful at the thing, which is actually scarier. And I think that there's true, like a mental breakdown that happens where you think you want something so bad, and then you start really unpeeling what that could do for you. It means you're going to have to travel. It means you won't be able to stay rooted in just one place. It means you're going to have to compromise and make sacrifice and lose this and lose that. And the truth is at the core, most of us are not birds, you know, we're, we're, we're trees that want to like root ourselves. Um, But then this business keeps uprooting us and that can be really hard because there's no consistency and there's no stability. So I always find those of us that are birds really thrive in this kind of environment because they migrate and they're constantly evolving and it's so beautiful to watch and you're like, why can't I be a bird? (laughs) (laughs) I love change. (laughs) Yeah, right. Like it's not that way, which can also be scary. So I think the mental health part of it is important It's probably one of the most important parts is if you don't know who you are and what you are worthy of, which is whatever it is you've already got, that is enough. But if you don't believe in that and you keep trying to put yourself in a box, I kind of started saying, fuck your box. I'm not going to dress up the way you want me to dress up. I'm not going to, you're not going to, you know, treat me like a puppet. I'm gonna come into this room and I'm gonna slay this audition and you're either gonna like it or not. Because what I learned from like kind of being on the other side of auditions, which I also think is really great. If you've you've never helped cast, it is such a wonderful like way to understand how it works. Because the minute I started doing like read, like I was the reader, you know, in the audition room, I did that just for like a summer I helped, abc with some of their showcases that they were doing and it was so incredible because the minute an actor walks in the room you're like they're not right and they didn't even open their mouth and then all of a sudden you go oh shit they never judged me it wasn't because i was bad at my audition i'm just not right for it like <laughs> which is incredible insight into yeah letting go of the like like so angry with yourself or like the, the rejection of not getting the thing and thinking it's cause you did something wrong and, and I don't nothing I, wrong.
0: I don't know if that's something you can learn in your first couple of years. No. I don't think it is. I know there's no way you could have told me that totally. I wasn't read. Like, I mean, I probably submitted for every single role that came onto my actors access. Like, roles that were not meant for me. Things that I went to every audition, I did every possible thing and I probably should have not have. (laughs) And I did it all personally. Right. And it took me years to not be like, oh, it's not because of how I look or what I said. It was because they were hiring someone else.
1: (laughs) Yeah. It's just like plain and simple. You walked in and you probably crushed it, but they were like, nope. Nope, she's just not right for it. Like, but but maybe you know, the the thing that they do write is notes, and so they go, oh Sam, damn, let's remember her for the next thing. Like they still take notes on you, so you still want to come in there 100% committed and fully prepared. But you're right. I think some of it has to do with time and experience. Some of it has to do with age. I think with age, as we know, comes the wisdom. We hope, and I think. <laughs> me going to therapy and me getting a little older and away from my 20s, good God, never do I want to be in my 20s again, not knowing who I am and not knowing what I want, like really, truly kind of gave me this power. I remember coming into my 30s and just kind of sitting inside myself being like, "What? Well, here's what I know. I love what I do and I'm not giving up and they're either going to take me or they're going to leave me, but I'm not fucking stopping. And the minute that you start to have that kind of belief in yourself, doors start opening for you. And they might not be the doors you thought they would be, but I promise that if you stick with whatever that pathway is, it's going to get you right back to where you initially wanted in the first place. My girlfriend and I talk about like the industry also. I love talking in metaphor, obviously. I
0: dig a metaphor.
1: (laughs) uh that's one of the first things my boyfriend and I fell in love with about each other we're both like huge metaphor he's a director too so like whatever we're constantly talking in metaphor and about like abstract atmosphere but my my girlfriend Abby and I we liken the business to the lobby of a hotel and that you're always going to meet in the lobby you can have a drink you can have a conversation you can network there but eventually you're going to go to this floor and you're going to go to this floor and sometimes you get to go all the way to the penthouse. But at the end of the day, you come back to this ground level of we're all on the same page. Some of us have just had a few more credits on our resume and some of us have had a little bit more experience, but each journey is so different and unique that if you start comparing yourself to other people, it's just going to only be a setback. And that takes time too. I'm sure you know, Sam, Like, mm-hmm. if you if it takes you years to recognize that it was not your fault that you didn't get it, unless you just didn't prepare and you just fucked it up. And like, let's just be honest. Sometimes we That's like don't prepare, and we go in and we're like, yeah, I didn't prepare for that. And like, mm-hmm. I shouldn't, get that. I should definitely not get that, you yes. know? Yes. Yes. You have those days where you just kind of are like, fuck this, you know? <laughs> but I think that like, once you get to a certain point, you start realizing like, I do have value. I do have worth. Now I just need to get in front of the people who recognize that too. And that's where that beginning research we talked about back in the beginning of your career, if you have the like, if you have the wherewithal and the drive to do that early on in your career, do it because it's gonna eventually come back around and you're gonna be like, like, oh yeah, that casting director with the workshop, like she loves it when you do this type of role and like, that's my, my type of casting. So I'm gonna get in front of her as much as I can. And that you start having to, play your own game. Now you're the one who's in charge. Now you're looking at, you know, they need you as much as you need them. When you go into an audition room, casting doesn't want to spend days looking for a part. They want to fucking find you and they want to check their list and they want to like make the director happy. Mm -hmm. So there is also that benefit of recognizing, and that's the same for managers and agents. I feel like early on in my career, I was afraid of my managers and agents. I was just like, whatever you say, I'll do whatever you want. Oh my God. Just like, help me get a role. But you work for them as much as they work for you. And if you're not being honest about who you are and you're not being honest about what it is you really want, then you're literally just kind of like going in circles, hitting your head on a wall. And you're not able to have any breakthroughs because you're not being honest about what it is you really want. And I think part of that is like, hey, do you know what you want? And if you don't, you should probably sit down and spend some time with yourself.
0: Yeah, and it's it's harder. <laughs> I feel like it's hard. It's when I was in my early twenties too, and I feel like you and I are just going to talk about being in our thirties for like a while. But I Last feel 30. like <laughs> it's, love it, love it. Uh, I you know you couldn't have told me that things weren't going to work out the way i saw them which is also by the way i have to admit and i think everyone should admit a mark of privilege that i thought that things would just work out for me i thought that i was going to get the right roles i thought i would go in the right rooms and figuring out that that everything i did wasn't exactly in line with myself wasn't you know i wasn't right for every role all that stuff was a mark of like slowly figuring it out mm-hmm. until, you know, you get to that point where it's like, oh, I can still live a life even if I don't get this role.
1: Yes. I remember having that. That's so great. What That is such a trigger for me, Sam, because I remember having that moment. I had booked something and it was a really great film and it was a lead in a film. And I was going, I was in North Carolina. I'm at a beach house at that time in my life. That was a big thing for me. It was like yeah. I booked a role, and they're gonna pay for me to go to a beach house, and I'm gonna That's be the a dream vacation, <laughs> and like all the things. And I'm like one of four people in this film. Like it's like huge. And I remember finally getting there, and I had I had done a couple of days on set, and it was great. It wasn't that the work was bad in any way, shape, or form, but I remember sitting on my bed thinking, "This isn't enough," because I'm. Still empty. I'm still not fulfilling some of the things that I want in life. You know, like you have to know that this career is so fulfilling when you get the things, but it's also so empty when you get the things and you're still not happy with who you are. So that's where the mental health part of it comes in. If you're not doing therapy in some way, and I'm a huge believer in meditation. If you are not somehow spiritually connecting to yourself and to your own desires and to your own like weaknesses and strengths, then you're not able to convey that in an audition room, let alone in a role on camera. And you're not able to give a hundred percent of yourself to anything. Yeah. And so, what you keep doing is you keep chasing the gig. Well, if I get the gig, then the gig will make me feel complete. And what I realized at that time in my life, because I was going through some really hard personal things, it wasn't enough to make me not feel sadness. And I had to really work on it's not the gig, the gig is the thing that is still ultimately the day job. Like, We hope that we get the best day job in the world, the dream job where we can go on set nine to five and like show up and get our hair and makeup done and do an amazing, like cool action stunt that day and still come home and like be in your own bed and be with your partner. And like, that's the dream, but it doesn't take away any kind of sadness or emptiness you're feeling. So it was, it was actually really great advice that I got from a teacher once who had had some, some, uh, pretty um, um, good success at that time in television. Um, and he kind of said the same thing to me like N- you've got it. You you got it. Now just relax and have fun because it won't last long and this too shall pass and you'll still feel like there's something missing and you need to just enjoy it while you have it. Mm. And so that's what I started doing. I was like, whenever I booked a gig, I would just enjoy the shit out of it. I would like even videotape myself being like, ah, they gave me first class. I'm in an elevator, like with that's gold. And I've got snacks in the hotel room and they've got notes like Miss Tomko, welcome. Like whenever you can celebrate your victories, celebrate them, but just know that they're not going to be the thing that overall fulfills you in this life. Like,
0: Mm. isn't it funny that we like, we make movies about this exact plot all of the time and tv shows like you've never seen i my friends who are lawyers i don't expect their next lawyer gig to fulfill their souls i expect yeah. it to be something they do for a job and for money and like they're good at it but as an actor For some reason, we put all the weight of the world and our emotions and our success and our relevancy and our validation on our (laughs) bookings. Like no other business does that.
1: (laughs) That's such a great point. I've never even thought of that, but you're so right. Nobody else in the world. We're so egotistical. You know what I mean? We just are just full of like, but also like such sensitive like beings because we like want to like puff up our chest and be like, yes, I did the thing. And then we're like, please accept me, please, please. Because I need something to feel like I have purpose in this life, you know? And you do, you have purpose going to an audition. You have purpose going to your restaurant job while you're waiting for the next audition to come in. You have purpose reading, reading plays that matter to you because they make you feel something and not because you're actually working on a role at all. You have purpose, that's all part of your career. So if you think that the career is getting the gig then that is a huge, like, I think, misalignment with how you see this industry. Because if you're lucky, and I've heard this from multiple people that I've worked with now, that kind of echo this sentiment, if you're lucky, the acting is the bonus. Like everything else is the thing that gets you there so that you can finally like, and now I get to act today but there is so much other stuff that you have to deal with. The politics of it all, the preparation, the networking, the events, all the other pomp and circumstance that if, if you don't want that part, then you, you might need to consider maybe not being in the public limelight, maybe being an actor of your own accord somewhere else doing your own stuff because this kind of industry does not cater to keeping it soft and humble and sweet and not still having some, something that you're like grinding and like always constantly feeling pressure about or stress about, like just, just booking the gig doesn't take away the fear, you know? Like I was saying earlier, the success, f- fear of failure once you have succeeded, I think is even stronger because now it's like, you know, you, it does, it's not that hard to get an A, but it takes a lot to keep the A, you know, that's otherwise right. you're just going to become the B or the C student because you're like, I'm not really trying hard here. Yeah, like, right. You can do one <laughs> test, you know, you can you can even you can ace one test and be like, yeah, but if you're not like constantly working at that, and that's and when I say constantly working on it, I mean like what you're saying too about Constantly working at what it is that fuels you, constantly working at what inspires you, spiritual meditation, taking walks, uh, reading books, still also the grind of getting your head shot and your reel in front of people, networking, like all of it, going to the gym if that suits you or whatever. But like if you don't know what those things are for you and you're following some sort of other leader, you're just becoming a lemming, you know, in, in the system. And, and eventually you'll find that it's not going to satisfy you. So what is it you want? Name it, manifest it, and just know that it's not going to happen tomorrow. Or you might warp to level I eight. And hope, I hope it you. happens
0: tomorrow. You guys, I, I, hope, hope, for you I hope it happens that
1: you warp. to level eight, honestly. And, and then you can come on the podcast and talk yes. to me about your warp.
0: Because I've had, yes, like, on oh here. my
1: God, this is amazing, right?
0: Yeah, I've had yeah. actors who's got to skip levels before talk to me about it. And yeah. they, but there's also, there is, I feel like you and I are just hanging out now. I feel there is like a twinge of guilt those actors carry that when you get down to brass tacks, I swear you can tell they feel a little bad that they skipped levels. Yeah. And I don't think they should. I don't think they need to, but I do no. that there is, there, there is a little something there. So it is important to feel your feelings in the hustle because I hope that it validates you when you get to that point. Now, Tiger Lily is such a cool role, by the way. Thank you. When you booked that for once upon a time, did you, cause that show was so major. Did you feel like that was a moment you were like, things are happening? Like, where yeah. were you at in your head when you booked that?
1: Well, the first big role before that was the cave woman on the leftovers. And I remember right. that was the season two opener. You, you don't even really necessarily know who I am and you don't have to, you're not supposed to, it doesn't really matter, but it was an epic 10 minute opener to a season. And, and at the time everyone was talking about it, including The lead actors in the show. And I remember feeling like, holy shit, all of a sudden they're tweeting about me on this opening night. And, you know, I'm getting all this love and this admiration and respect for this 10 minute sequence I did. And that's when I thought, okay this is it like holy shit I worked so hard to get here my boyfriend and I like I said he's a director he's always helping me with auditions and like finding the atmosphere and understanding the circumstance and going in and like really living that out in the audition room and we just crushed it I remember being like was it a self I crushed it yeah it no, no no, no. well I mean I went into it? a room okay yeah that was still that was still you know Obviously, pre-COVID days, and also pre-even self-taping, which was like not really a thing unless you really couldn't be in the room, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah, it was like a privilege to
0: self-tape. I feel like back yes. then.
1: Yeah, exactly. It was like, oh, I'm busy working on some other gig. I'll put a tape there. I'll you know it what in I mean? That That's trailer, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. When you self-tape like you were somebody, you know? Uh-huh. Like totally you're willing to take your tape, <laughs> you know. Um that was the role where I was like this is it and I had an amazing opening and I had so much wonderful exposure from that and then crickets it was like cricket cricket I couldn't book it wasn't that I couldn't it's just everything I went out for after that wasn't quite right and it took I don't know I think Leftovers came out, I want to say in 2015, and I didn't do Once Upon a Time for like a year and a half. So it was a lull. You know, you have this big gig and you're like, this is it. And then you sit,
0: (laughs) you know, like, right. I think the expectation we put on that is, is a whole nother thing. Did you, did your reps
1: like try and like get you more meetings? Was there like a push? Sure. I mean, it. I will say The one thing that changed significantly after booking that role and airing it and people seeing my work was that got me in audition rooms I'd never been in before. So even though I didn't book anything again for another year and a half, I was, I was doing auditions that were bigger and they were definitely more significant guest star work that I had ever had before. Um, some series regular stuff. I remember going out for, there was even a series regular that I almost got. It was between me and some other chick. Uh, she was wonderful in it. I remember actually going on the show and, um, being in a scene with her and being, and, and feeling so, um, glad that she got it and not me because she was so right for it and I still got to be on the show and it was so beautiful at the time I remember being like dang a near miss but when you look back on it in retrospect it's like oh yeah that wasn't right for me it just wasn't it it, it would have changed my life in the sense that I wouldn't have been a waitress anymore oh amazing but like you know that wasn't enough that's not enough so when I booked um once upon a time this, this was one of those scenarios where Veronica Collins Rooney, who was the casting director, was one of the first directors, uh, casting directors that I ever got in front of at a workshop when I first moved out to LA in 2007. And I remembered it and I took notes. And so when I went into the audition room, I said, Hey, nice to see you again. And she was like, where have I met you before? And I was like, I did a workshop with you in 2007, long time ago. I don't expect you to remember it, but you taught me. And I gave her a one-liner of something that she, I remember her saying something. And now of course it's escaped me. But at the time I remembered her giving me some good advice. Because you had your notes. Because I had my (laughs) notes. And I went back because I knew you start knowing their names. And I remember her whole demeanor changed. She's a really lovely person in general. Like you go into some audition rooms and it's a little, it's not that it's necessarily unfriendly. It's like, it's like cold, but hopeful. (laughs) Like they they really want you to do well, but they don't want you to get too close. They're just like, there's not a connection. Yeah. Right. 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 Veronica is somebody who immediately makes you feel warm when you walk in she's that type of casting director you're just like yes so i'm so glad that she's the one because she you feel the aura you're like erica breams that way too i don't know if you've ever i
0: she was on this podcast
1: oh great yes you know she's so amazing and there, there there are certain casting directors that make it a point to really just be there with you they don't treat you like a number, they treat you like a person and Veronica's that way. And so so that starts the audition off on a really great note. Then I give some one-liner from 2007 that she told me, which was like her whole <laughs> demeanor shifted. And she was like, wow, okay, are you ready to do this audition? And then on top of it, the preparation uh, of what TJ, my boyfriend and I had worked on for that, um, was just this fun, playful situation with Captain Hook that wasn't even eventually on the show. It was just something they made up for the audition circumstance. Mm-hmm. But I remember when I was done, you just got that feeling. Veronica was like, huh, okay. All right. i right, we'll be in touch. And I was just like. And you know that she's gonna be in touch. <laughs> you know that even if you don't get it, You did something that day, right? So once I booked that, that was my first time booking a recurring. And that was a big deal. I had had guest star work before that, but that was the first time that it was going to be more than one episode. And I was just like through the roof, like flying to the moon in so much happiness.
0: Did you celebrate? Yeah, I did. How actors celebrate
1: victories. That's a great question. Um, Sometimes they're small. Sometimes it's like I just buy myself an ice cream. (laughs) Uh, Sometimes or uh, always uh, for me, my celebration comes with Bob Seger's old time rock and roll. And I put it on in my car and I jam out. And I'm not sure. It's not like I'm this giant Bob Seger fan. It's definitely the 80s, which is where I was born from. And I think there's something about it. But when he's just like, just take those old records off the shelf. You like, know? You're yeah, like, yeah. Ah, ah, yes, I did it. Uh, uh. Like, so that's part of every win that I get. I love but it. But with Once Upon a Time, when I booked it, Um, I had a friend, uh, one of my best friends, Luke, who the crazy thing about the audition was right before Thanksgiving. And it was a last minute audition. And I was literally supposed to get on a plane that day. And I had a friend that I was, uh, he was a friend at the time that I was working in the restaurant with. And um, we had never hung out outside of work, but you—you he was just that kind of person that I knew I could rely on. And TJ was already at the airport. We're talking like cutting it close. Like they, call, they called me that morning and they were like, you gotta show up to Veronica Collins Rooney's office today. And I was like, I'm going to get on a plane. But like, so the night before I did this, I did a reading with Luke. Like we, we talked over it and I called him up and I said, can you please I, I know we've never hung out before. Can you possibly just run me to this audition and then take me to the airport? Luckily not LAX, my God, what an awful, awful thing to ask a friend ever to do. I, I was but also, like, I was
0: also like, <laughs> you're
1: not going to make it. <laughs> I know. Thank God it was Burbank airport. Cause I just, yeah. I refuse to do LAX if I don't have to, I but it. I remember him just showing up for me, he's sw- like, he swung through, picked me up. He took me to the audition. I like had that moment that was like, yes, Bob Seeger, rock and roll, got back in the car. He took me to the airport. I just made the plane by like half an hour. Luckily it's Burbank. So you don't have to worry about security. I went through, I went and had Thanksgiving with my family. And while I was in, uh, in Virginia with my family, I got the call. So I not only got to celebrate with my family, for Thanksgiving, like come downstairs. And I'm like, you guys, I got it. It's all you have to say the whole family. I mean, I'm just chills thinking about it. And then I promised Luke that if he did all these things for me, I would take him for like the best steak dinner he's ever had. And I did. That's what we did. I took him when I got back on a steak dinner date and I bought his whole meal and was like, I think we spent like $200, which seems like nothing but at the same time for a waitress for you know two servers and a dream two servers and a dream you're like I'll take the red wine and the steak please and you just feel like you're being bougie and take like a bottle <laughs> yes absolutely yes. but I was like I that was how we celebrated and it was the beginning of uh, I think four episodes worth that I got to do for the following year and this was also at the same time that I was Uh, going to episodes, I was working on uh, TJ's first film that he was working on for our production company. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I was helping him produce a film and I was going to set uh, in Canada uh once upon a time i'm being flown back and forth i'm coming back to help him do producing this film and i'm still waitressing on the weekends because let's be honest those checks don't come until later and it's not like you can cash them all of a sudden and not have i'm sorry twenty thousand dollars of debt that just i have accrued over the last 10 years there's no way you can yeah there's no way you can just All of a sudden, you get that one gig and you're like, that's it. I don't waitress anymore. Like, yeah, it doesn't. Also, like like when you have a good job, you
0: keep it because you never know when the next booking is going to be. That's left out of a lot of stories to be like, I was flying back and forth producing something, flying to you know, Canada to film something like a big major TV show. And then on the weekends, I served chicken. Like,
1: yes, (laughs) and I still get those questions of you know, people who would be like. So you're an actress, right? And I'm like, yes, uh, yes I am, of course. And they're like, you know, well, what have you been in? And my favorite was always, if you knew I wouldn't be serving you your potatoes right now, okay? <laughs> One day you'll know and you won't even have to ask. Oh my God, right
0: my, now? my favorite uh, was um, uh, being on airplanes. I would always like flying Southwest because they had the best change fees. And the person next to me being like, what do you do in LA? I'm like, I'm an actor. And they're like, oh, have I seen you or anything? And I'm like, we're on Southwest.
1: No. (laughs) (laughs) No, no. And I'm also like sitting in in business with you. Like I'm not on first class. I'm eating the baby pretzels. Right. I'm eating (laughs) the
0: baby pretzels. I'm no no one.
1: (laughs) Actually, I had um, two two. Once a onceers, uh, that that's the fans. They they're called Oncers. They are they are huge fans of the show, and they're so lovely, and they make you feel so welcome to the whole world that is Once Upon a Time. But two of them came into my restaurant, and I didn't wait on them. But my my waiter server friend um, Nate came over and said, "Hey, <laughs> just want you to know those girls are really confused why Tiger Lily is waiting tables." <laughs> And I was like, you go ahead back there and say, thanks for being a fan and tell them that a girl's got to do what a girl's got to do. Yeah, tell, them, <laughs> tell them to rent my episodes on iTunes. No. <laughs> <laughs> you know, just being on TV doesn't cut it. Like I, but it was like, I think those girls that day learned a lesson about acting. I think they just assume they see you on TV. That means you must have such wonderful, successful financial life that is that is fruitful and And I think they were really confused and also a bit like intrigued, you know, (laughs) they were like, Oh, wow. Okay, that's weird. But whatever, you know, it was just this, this wonderful kind of humbling experience of, yeah, I have been on some stuff you've seen, but I, I haven't. Not yet. That's the operative word. Not yet Have it, has it been something where you would know what it is, or maybe you do because you watched Once Upon a Time. Uh, every once in a while, I would get somebody who would know leftovers, and they, through all the dirt and grime, they would still somehow knew, know it was me, and that would be like, wow, yeah, that was me. Wow, way to know.
0: Do you feel like this set you up to be just like a genuinely generally nice person because it seems like, like that would be a lot of actors worst nightmare, right? Like when I started this podcast, I was very clear. I was like, the one thing I want to do is push that. I work lots of side jobs. I do this. I do that. So while you might see me or hear me talking in your ears, I'm you're might going run into me at Whole Foods with two kids attached to my hip because I'm a nanny. Yes. So was that something yes. that at the time you were like in a good place with the fact that you were working side jobs
1: and working like and no, Yeah, a I don't bit. think I ever, I don't think I ever felt embarrassed about it. You know, the thing is early on in my waitressing career, and it was in fact a career, I did it for 20 years. It got me through high school, college, all of my beginning career years. Like I owe a lot to that type of job because I certainly didn't want to be a desk job person. My God, I don't want to drive nine to five. No, thank you. Like, I think in some ways you have to find the thing that you're good at that's not the thing you love and still be good at it and still find a way to love it. Early on it, when I was working at, at this restaurant, uh, I remember having moments a solid year or two where I would come to work so shitty, like just in a shitty mood. And I just fucking hated everybody. And I just didn't want to be there. And I didn't because, Oh, it's never going to happen for me. And I fucking don't want to be a waitress and I'm better than this. And I know I'm more talented and blah, blah, blah. blah. That wasn't, okay, I appreciate your feelings, Sarah, but that's not like gonna fix the situation you're in. In fact, you need to respect your day job. It's the only thing that's paying your bills so that you can audition. This job, this job is the thing that helps you prepare for the thing you love. And if you don't have this thing, you cannot survive. So I think once I finally respected that about it, I really just started to enjoy going to work and being grateful that I had enough money to pay my bills so that I could audition. And then, so I never felt embarrassed. It was more like, yeah, I kind of enjoyed people recognizing like me and me being like, yeah, and I still have to pay the bills. Like yeah. this, that's like, there was something about it that felt like humbling and also like a lesson learned for the people that day. <laughs> totally.
0: Know? I mean I love it, but it's just very interesting to see I feel like that's something that people are um you know constantly learning and relearning and especially like you said we're all ego and so it's yes. it's very interesting. So now take me back to booking um Resident Alien because
1: Yes. Wow, this right. Been- quite Gosh, we a, did a whole time warp there Sam <laughs> <laughs> we did a whole time warp and now I'm like where am I Where is here is it um where? how many jobs have I had
0: uh because this is like d- did this feel different I know it's you you it took a long time to work on this project is that correct like from what I've I I looked up like it's been a long time coming or it's been in the process for a while And it comes out in, uh, so we're recording this in October, but it comes out in January,
1: which is very exciting. Um, The short version of the process of the show is that um, Chris Sheridan, who is the head writer and showrunner, got the comic book on his desk and began the process of turning it into a TV show on October 15th, 2015. Uh, they went through a series of things of which network was going to buy it and whatever, but he was asked to start the project then, and then you cut to 2018 so three years now for him and his whole process. There's already been a much longer journey just to get it cast just to get it a network to get it and all that so you think about when you see a show. I mean, there's so many hands it has touched, so many yeses it had to get instead of noes, or the ways it's been pushed or its own journey that got it from, the page to the actual TV you're watching. And it has nothing to do even with the actor's journey. It's like before that even began. So that started in 2015, they started casting in 2018. I was the first person, they were looking for my character Asta. They, They wanted to cast her first because they believed that she was the heart of the show and they wanted to base the other actors off of her. Um, Kind of the feel for the town um, that that they're in, and uh, so I was the first one cast. And what is just this beautiful, generous gift from the universe? (laughs) I did one tape, one tape, and and I booked this role. Shut the
0: fuck up! No way,
1: dude. (laughs)
0: Like, but isn't that funny? But like, isn't that funny though that? all of the work you put in, all the yes. classes, all the auditions, all the nonsense, and it's
1: one tape. Just one tape, and awesome. David Dobkins, who was directing the pilot, he didn't go on to necessarily direct any other episodes, but he helped kind of get it off the ground and running. Um, he and Chris had been looking through a lot of different tapes, and he just, I don't know, he just kind of, he found my tape, and the same way my agents and managers felt when they found the role in the first place. It was just one of those things where you look at the comic book and you see my face on it. And then you look at me and my headshot and you're like, "Hmm, that's the girl. Like, And then you have me come in and do it. And with my preparation and with the atmosphere that TJ and I created for that audition that day and all of those things, all the work leading up to it, all of that just was the perfect recipe that the universe just dropped right there into my lap and David Dopkin saw my tape and said, this is the girl. And I can't tell you the like irony of how long I worked to finally just get one of the biggest roles of my life off of one self (laughs) tape. Actually, it wasn't a self tape. to be fair. It was a tape in an audition room, but it was still on a tape that they sent. It wasn't like I was in the room with the director or it was just um, me and the casting director who also um, was an incredibly warm, like loving, wonderful person. Uh, So it just felt like just the right recipe all around, like we talked about before, Mm -hmm. uh, never in a million years would I thought that I would have booked a series regular off of one tape. You think you hear the stories. You hear the stories about how you have to go through audition, to audition, to audition. You have to sign contracts and you still don't get it. Mm-hmm. That you come to the end of the line and it's like American Idol and you're the like, <laughs> you know, you're not the you're not the one. You're the runner-up and they they tell you, "Well, the runner-up's still great and they're still going to make a CD, but you're not the one." Right? Yep. yep, <laughs> like, yep. That was always the experience I was given. So For me to go into this audition to feel this synergy with the minute that it it hit my eyes and the minute that i walked in there i just kind of felt even that that day was weird it was like an audition near um uh, i want to say malibu it was like this just i'd never been to a casting office there you know and i showed up and it was raining, like like pouring down. And it never does that in LA. And the minute I opened the door to go to the audition, the rain stopped and I went into the audition room and I just had this amazing experience. And then I got back in my car and the rain started again. It was like this weird, I get goosebumps thinking about it, like this weird universe just like opened up and was like, we see you. We see how hard you've been working. Here you go. Boom. And so I walked away just happy that I had a great audition. At that point, I've done enough of these now that all I ever care about anymore is that I lived out a truthful experience in the room and that I didn't feel forced or unauthentic, that I felt like I really lived out that experience. So I was happy and I didn't really care. To be a quite honest, I had gotten to a place where I wasn't holding on to it. I was happy with my life. I was happy with who I was. And I knew eventually I would get there. So there was a, a, a wisdom and a patience that came with that moment. But then my agent calls and he's like, I don't know how to tell you this, Sarah, but something has, this is, I've never seen this happen ever and they are already asking about your like your dates. They're asking about these things that they wouldn't ask about unless they wanted you. And within five days, we had figured out like a contract and they kept saying there was another girl that I was up against but my agent was like, total bullshit. They're just playing a game. Like, it's just, this is how they do it. Cause they don't want to seem too desperate but they're basically like, you're the girl. I mean, he could feel it. He was telling me like, they don't do this. This is not how this works. They don't, just do they don't just book off of one tape. Like everybody was just like, what is happening? And then even more karmic, like beauty from the universe. That same film that I helped TJ produce uh, two years prior, while we, while I was flying back and forth with Once Upon a Time, we were premiering that the movie that night at uh, at the local NoHo uh, Seven Theater, oh, and we were having a giant premiere. That's such a cool day. Yes, so lovely. We like we were premiering it. We got all dressed up. My brother was in town. Like we were all dressed up, thirty um, minutes away from from leaving. I like, think so you now. Should-
0: you should have your family with you at all times. It sounds like- At all positive. times,
1: have my brothers in town. And I just get the, I get the call. And my manager, Zach James, who, you know, all you I, I, I always say he was the one. You always need just one person in the business who believes in you. You just got to find them. The one person, because they're the one that can unlock doors for you. He was the one for me. And we'd been together, I don't know, 10 years at that point. And he and my agent were on the phone. And when you, when that happens, you're like, someone died or I just booked this role, <laughs> you know what I mean? Or I'm about to die from joy. <laughs> like. And they tried to play with me like, we're really sorry to tell you this, but you're the lead in this TV show. And I was like, what? And I'm crying and I go into the other room and I say, once again, I got it. Just those simple words to my brother. And he's like blow drying his hair and he's like, you got it. Ah! Like, he's like, we're just <laughs> hugging each other and crying and TJ, we're all hugging each other. And then we go to a movie premiere. TJ wants to shout it to the rooftops. He wants to tell everyone. And I said, whoa, 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 whoa. Yeah. They could change their mind. I mean, at this point now you're like pinching yourself and you're like, this is surreal. This, this. What if they change their mind what if they right. didn't mean it like, right. if they, like what mean, if somebody comes out of
0: the woodwork and wants the part what if they change the script yes. like, that's what or i they're do.
1: like or or david you know david and chris want me but what if the higher ups change their mind and they say no i mean it's political you don't know mm-hmm. you hear all the time that pilots get okay maybe i'll do the pilot but then they change the casting i mean you just once you get to a certain point then there's a whole other set of fears <laughs> that take right. place because of the success of it all so I have this amazing premiere. TJ wants to tell everyone. I tell him not to tell anyone. So I don't tell a single person that night. Um uh there was one friend, my friend Jamie. Um, she's the one that ha- that reminded me that I would get cosplayed because TJ couldn't help himself when she showed up. She was one of the first people to show up, and he was like, "Sarah booked this role," <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, "TJ, no, we can't tell people until it's like really real." Oh my god! Uh, but Jamie was she's such a wonderful friend, and she was uh, I mean she's an actress too, but she was never one, and that was in competition with me or anything you surround yourself with people that really do want what's best for you and and they don't have any jealousy towards your career like but if you got friends like that get rid of them I mean honestly there's no, life's word. too short life's too short for shitty friends <laughs> so yeah, that was real. so so she was the only one that knew But then the next day, so we have this amazing premiere, which was already a feat in itself. We had made our first film and we were premiering it. It was so, so wonderful. And then the next day I I have a lunch meeting with David and Chris. And now it's, I'm, I'm meeting them as their lead actress in this show. And they tell me I'm the first one cast and they're gonna let me know as they continue to cast it. And they did, Chris did such a great job and this is also rare for a showrunner, they don't normally get as involved, but he's just such a a wonderful, like um, just endearing human being that he really wanted us all to feel immediately comfortable with one another. Mm -hmm. So the minute I got cast and then Corey Reynolds gets cast and then Alice Wetterland, he starts introducing us through email. And then we all start having like a back and forth, which eventually became a text thread that we still have to this day, the aliens text thread. Um, that we're just you know giving each other shit and constantly like memes and you know all, all kinds of dialogue. Um, but it became this beautiful warm family before we even went on set. And then you shoot the pilot September of that year. and as I said before, you never know what's gonna happen and they hadn't picked it up for a season yet. They were just doing the pilot. So we finally shoot the pilot, but it's like, I, I gotta go back to waitressing once again. Like it was a great, Oh, that's awesome. I can pay off some debt. I can, whatever, but like, I gotta, I gotta keep working. And I did. Um, and it wasn't until February of 2019 that they waited and literally like, I think that based on our contracts, they were supposed to tell us on March 1st and they waited till February 28th. Like, yes, we pick you up for season one so up until that point you imagine you shoot it in September it takes a month to shoot so from October to February we're just waiting like oh I've got this beautiful thing that I can't really talk about like I can tell a few close friends and family but I can't post about it I can't talk about it like and I can't even really celebrate it that's the truth like That night of the premiere we celebrated because wow, what a win. But after that, I was like, I don't want to jinx this thing. I was like, I don't want to talk about it. I don't want to jinx it. I don't want anything to, I don't want to get, I don't want to fall in love with these people. I don't want to fall in love with this script. I don't want to get my heart broken. Mm -hmm. So I started to detach slightly. (laughs) And I was just like, here's this beautiful thing. And isn't that interesting? you know, and then, um, they pick up for season one and you would think at that moment, that would be a celebration, but it was like, yeah, we're picking up for season one and we're going to shoot in June. But then it got pushed back to July, which got pushed back to August. And then we didn't actually shoot till November. So now I've gotten, I've gone a whole year because now I can't, I can't audition for other things. Now I've gotten the series regular and I could audition maybe for like a guest star, As long as it doesn't compete with the network, like there's certain guidelines, you know, we would have to check in. And I had a couple auditions, but like because they didn't know when we were shooting, I couldn't really book anything. So now you've gone about a a whole full, like over a year. Did you ever wonder?
0: Did you ever wonder if it just wasn't going to happen?
1: Oh my god! Every time I just thought, this is too good to be true. How how can you book off? How can you book? Yes. How can you book off one tape? How can my life actually be changed? Is this really happening? Not only did, did it all happen, but I also just asked that it is, is me. I am her. Like, this is like dream. You, it is just like, it's a sensitive role. She's raw. She's vulnerable. She's a little bit feisty and in your face. Like she, you know, like that's me. Like it just fit. So then, and and the show is good, and the script is good, like you, you, all the things, just because you you get a role doesn't mean it ends up being a good experience for you, you're like, oh god, like, it's not, it's not a well-oiled machine, like, there's drama, there's not good writing, like, you never know, you kind of have to be, be careful what you wish for, you really have to just hope that it all lines up, and this one did, that's why it was a little, so every day, I mean, I have journals upon journals of just anxiety and depression and, and all the fears, all the fears I'm writing constantly going back. This is where the mental health comes into play again. I had to really, for a whole year, I had to keep reminding myself that I was worthy and that I worked hard for this and that I belonged here. And that even if it didn't go that that was part of my journey. Like I had to remember and remind myself that this was just a part of the game and I happened to get to level eight and it took me a long time to get there. And that's not even the end of the game, <laughs> you know? Oh my God. yes. So now we shoot the pilot. We wait a whole year to shoot season one. We got, this is now, we we are finally caught up to November of last year, 2019. My boyfriend and I leave all all our things behind. We get on the road, we go to Canada, we spend four months shooting and two weeks before we finish, pandemic. And so the crazy irony of my whole journey and then just the journey of this show by itself was this incredible like, is this ever actually going to happen? Like, what the fuck? Are you kidding me? We just got to the end. And I can see the like marathon flag. I can see the thing that I'm going to run through and I'm going to like cry and vomit on the other side. I can see the finish line. I can see the light at the end of the tunnel. I have been in this tunnel for a long time. Like... (laughs) Are you kidding me? And like, you know, everybody's pandemic experience is different. Mm-hmm. But that was mine. That was me like, no. Like What did you guys do? What? Right there. We had to well, you know, Canada is led by a leader who is is very smart. He he closed everything down. He said, "I don't care if it's not here yet because they had I don't even they, I don't even think the disease was there yet, mm-hmm. but he said, "I don't care. We're closing down." And if you're not a citizen, get the fuck out of here. Like get out, go home, and we'll we'll, we'll call you. We'll call you in a little <laughs> bit. Like I mean, so TJ and I, you know, my my work permit is good through May and it's February or it's March. March 13th, Friday the 13th is the day that it shuts down. I, remember, I mean like the work day. day. I can't I also can't, you know, I I I work opposite of Alan Tudick, um, who's just a a real pleasure to work opposite of. And there are some weird things happening in in the scenes that, that day. I mean, we're dealing with an alien. <laughs> so like, this just happens to be an episode where some weird shit's going down and then it's Friday the 13th and then there's like weird shit going down in the world. <laughs> so it was just like, so bizarre. I remember like looking at Alan while we were in a scene having to be held in a certain position while they were like fixing our makeup and stuff. And I just looked at Alan and I was like, it was really good to know you, you know, it was really good to work with you. I'm not sure I'll ever see you again. <laughs> like, was just, like we had no idea, you know, like what if it's the end of the world? No, I, like everyone was freaking out.
0: Yeah. It was, it was so, still weird. It was all cool. the shows showing it now. I'm like, it's very weird to relive this.
1: Yes. So then TJ and I thought maybe we'd stay in Canada for a little bit because America was freaking out and like stealing people's toilet paper and like hating on each other. And we were just like, well, we're kind of, we have this gift of being in Canada, but um, the prime minister said, we're closing the border. Like you need to go. If you're not a citizen, you need to go. So we left the scariest drive home because originally we were planning on like taking our time and Yellowstone and like just all kinds of things. And now we're... (laughs) We're trying to get home quick in a matter of like 48 hours. We stopped by my, one of my best friends, Sarah's houses in Boise and we were like, she like gave us a warm meal and a shower. I felt like it was like World War II or something. And we were like traveling and like trying to figure out where to go. We were like, thank you for the warm meal. We're on our way again. Like we finally get home. <laughs> We finally get home and just like everyone else, we just start sitting in our house. Yeah. Um, and then of course, uh, even more things happen with Black Lives Matter movement. And you know, we were already on the edge of the Me Too movement and the, all these things were just, the world was on fire. And you know, now we're caught back up to the things that we've been enduring since March of this year. Um, and then they finally called me and said, okay, we have a window, it's a small window they are letting people come into Canada with work permits only. You are considered essential workers now in the entertainment industry, but only you. You can't bring your partners. You can't bring like too much of your stuff. Like you need to just get here. And when was this? This was, what month are we in now? October. So this was the end of August. So they called me, I think, they, they kind of started talking to me about it in July of this year. And they said, this is what we're thinking. This is, we're just kind of waiting on the green light, but we have a small window to go in and finish it. And the only reason they're letting us do it is because we only have two weeks of shooting. So like, we got to get in, get out. However, getting get out is not something you can do in COVID time. Once you get in, you got to isolate for two weeks, which I did.
0: I was going to say, I- that's a month then, right?
1: Yeah, it was two months actually two months for two and a half weeks of work, because now you can only have 10 hour days and they don't work weekends in Canada. God bless them. They're just, they're so amazing to their citizens. Wow, that's fantastic. Um, so you, but you have to stretch it out. So now you imagine what would have been two and a half weeks now has really about five and a half weeks and then the extra two weeks of quarantine. Um, so we all quarantined, we isolated, Uh, they gave us, uh, you know, they brought groceries to our door. In some ways, isolation was amazing and magical. Like I asked for kombucha and it showed up at my doorstep. (laughs) I asked for like an art journal and some markers and it showed up at my doorstep. It was like, I mean, I could ask for anything. It was kind of amazing. (laughs) Um, But then once you're out on set, it's still a reminder that this is so serious and such a crazy world we're living in right now it was so lovely to be able to do the work again but you're surrounded with everyone wearing masks and shields the whole of the crew is not allowed to be near you you feel like a leper like anytime you walk in a room they're like first team's coming in and everybody like parts the seas like they just they're not allowed to be near you and so because in one hand you're like oh that's nice i'm so valuable but on the other hand like on the other hand you're like "Ugh." I can't even talk to my crew. Like it's a different dynamic.
0: Yeah, that's very um, interesting because you, especially because you've spent so much time doing the show and then your last, the ends of your episodes had to be done in like this time.
1: Yeah, yeah. So it was sad in some ways because we couldn't properly celebrate this two and a half year journey we took together. Yeah. We couldn't really have a wrap party. We couldn't really We used to go on set and watch each other's scenes yeah, just for like camaraderie and support. We weren't allowed to do that this time. Like you had to, when you weren't on set you were isolated in your apartment building and you could leave after the isolation period but you're in the city where to be quite honest not a lot of Canadians were wearing masks outside. They would wear them indoors but they just kind of were like, we have low numbers here. We're not as paranoid as Americans are. But as an American, you're like, I don't feel comfortable going anywhere because I don't, I don't well, know. There's also a lot
0: writing on you because if, if you catch something, Ugh. maybe you just what, like, that's a lot of pressure that I think that we need. That could be its own podcast episode, like actors filming in quarantine in COVID times. It's if you hang out with friends one night and one of your friends hasn't been honest about who they've been with, it's a lot of pressure. It's all of a sudden a new additional thing on our shoulders that wasn't there before
1: nobody wanted of my cast um nobody wanted to be the one they yeah. they were like terrified. So even though we were technically a pod and we were isolating in the same building, we, we barely hung out. Uh, and if we did hang out, it was outside with masks, social distance. Like we didn't, but we really didn't do that very much because we were just terrified and we didn't wanna go anywhere and we didn't wanna do anything. So it was two months of a lot of sitting. Mm-hmm. And while I was still really grateful to be working, as my friend Abby reminded me, anxiety and gratitude can live in the same house. I was so grateful to be working again, but I was having anxiety every day because I have 165 people who are relying on me to not fuck this up and to not go do something stupid and get COVID and not be able to finish this thing.
0: I mean thank so, God you booked this in your 30s? Like could you? I mean,
1: I would have been a mess. <laughs> have been an absolute mess in my twenties. Like honestly, I think about that all the time. I think I I wasn't meant to be somebody who succeeded earlier in life. I was always meant to be older. Uh, I actually think that this was er, uh, this type of role and success was even earlier than I thought it would be. I was banking on Glenn close forty five. You know what I mean? Like I was like, I'm gonna be one of those. I'm gonna be one of those that like gets it in my forties. You mm-hmm. know? So this was a, just a delightful like i said gift from the universe after all the work i put in but we finally finished and get this the synergy of it all is you know chris began this journey on october 15th and that was our last day october fifteenth,
0: 2020
1: five official full full cycle years from page to screen and now we're just waiting for post production and the finishing touches and editing room, and then we air in January. And I don't know anything yet about you know it's it's going to be on the Sci-Fi Network. Does that mean it will just be on cable first and then streaming? You know, it's also um, uh, supported by Amblin Television and NBC Universal, and they have the Peacock streaming as like a new platform. So we think eventually if we're not already on it at the start, we will eventually be on it, but we don't really know much. We just are kind of all waiting as we have been since like July, 2018. (laughs) Like we're all just kind of like, what's going to happen with this thing? You know, what's really
0: exciting is that I'm recording now for the season that's going to air in 2021. So your show is probably going to be airing when we air this podcast. And that is really cool. I also just cannot not note this. And this is stolen from a podcast guest and I can't remember who it was and I'm going to remember later. But this role that was so perfect for you, was meant for you, was being written in 2015. So when when you were you in 2015, the role that was meant for you was being written and you were just forging ahead. Yes. Working, waitressing, doing your thing probably had moments where you wanted to give up, wanted to quit, whatever, but this role was being written for you during those times, which is just like the magic.
1: You know, what's really, I I thank you for bringing that to light. Even for me, like hearing you say it, I've thought about this a lot, but it just hearing you say it just kind of solidifies that was 2015 was the worst year of my life. And I can like, I know it because I was going through a very significant personal change in my life and I couldn't have been more in grief and depression and anxiety at that time. So to, to for you to put it in those terms, it's is like, wow, when we are at our lowest, something is happening, no matter what you believe, whether it's your future self, uh, you know, um, interstellar Matthew McConaughey style, or if it's like your actual spirituality in something higher or greater or fate or whatever, when we are at our lowest, our answers are on their way to us. It's just that they haven't arrived yet and we have to really kind of fight through that that fire and walk through it and feel all that pain because then I will say that pain is what I used later when I was doing some stuff as Asta that I was able to tap into so easily because of what I went through in 2015. And so then there was a whole synergy with things that Asta's character is going through that I had already gone through. And how could we have known that? How could I have ever, ever written that script for myself? It's such a beautiful like concept, but it is like going full circle back to the first question you asked me, that is not how I ever envisioned my career going. I I didn't have necessarily a vision, but it certainly wasn't that synergetic. (laughs) My God. So now knowing that I'm going to hear this in a year from now, I'm going to say to my future self, congratulations, your show not only aired, they picked up for a season two, they probably are picking up for a season three, and people love it and you have done it and there's probably something at this moment as you are listening to this that you needed to hear from me and it's You Are Worthy. There you go, future Sarah.
0: <laughs> future Sarah and all our podcast listeners. That is, I don't think I've ever had a podcast come so full circle at the perfect point in time to end it. I'm, We're ending it there. You have to. Magical. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Such synergy. Oh it's a pleasure to meet you this way. I can't wait till we live in a world where we can meet, you know, where we don't have to meet like this. But if you ever want to do a FaceTime cocktail or a social distance in the park, I'm right down the street. You're literally right down the street. (laughs)
0: That brings us to the end of today's episode. Sarah, thank you so much for being so candid, so kind, so generous. She is a beautiful soul and I highly highly recommend checking out her new show Resident Alien on Sci-Fi as well as checking out all Sarah has to offer. I mean, she'll like read your tarot cards and make you feel like the only person in the universe. It's a magical gift that this woman has. <laughs> Thank you so much to our sponsor, We Audition, for always being so supportive of all things One Broke Actress. Use the code BROKE25 for a $7.50 membership a month for life at weaudition.com. Thank you guys so much for listening. Thank you for rating and reviewing this podcast. Like I said, lots of new listeners could mean lots of new reviews, which means even more actors get this information, which means less of us feel alone at the end of the day. So please make sure to rate and review this podcast. Thank you so much to Helena Santos for producing this episode as well as so much of this season. Thank you, Maggie Zabo, for your incredibly gorgeous, as always, theme song. And I will talk to you guys next week.